Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone. I'm Ashley Manta, the Canisexual, sitting in for Carol and David on this week's episode of the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. And we love talking about everything related to sex, sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And hope our discussions open up your dialogue around great sex, because great sex matters and we all deserve it. Today, we'll embark on a journey into holistic reproductive health and fertility awareness. In this episode, discover how embracing a holistic approach to reproductive well-being intersects with non-monogamy. Our amazing expert, Vienna, shares unique insights into navigating fertility awareness within the context of diverse relationship structures or more traditional monogamy. Explore the nuances of self-awareness, mindfulness, and balance in both reproductive health and non-monogamy. This conversation offers a refreshing perspective on fostering a deeper connection to one's body and relationships, challenging traditional narratives. Plus, we delve into the fascinating world of breeding kinks and fetishes. Don't miss it. As we do on every show, let me tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because no one wants to sleep in the wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket, and order yours today. Great sex starts now. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and I'm Ashley Manta, the Canisexual, and I am so excited to welcome today's special guest. Vienna Farlow is a holistic reproductive health practitioner and the owner of The Cunt Sultant, Your Vagina's Consultant. She is a fertility awareness educator, teaching how to avoid or achieve pregnancy naturally and gain a deeper understanding of total body health through the menstrual cycle. Her work focuses on demystifying the female body, body literacy, and teaching women and people with menstrual cycles ways to connect with their bodies. The consultant is the culmination of her lifelong pursuit to learn as much as possible about the vagina, its neighbors, and the people who have them, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. She believes that all female-bodied people should be empowered to know more about their bodies and the way they work. She is passionate about reproductive justice, LGBTQ plus inclusion, full-spectrum care, abortion access, and provocation in the name of education. Vienna, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, It's just wonderful to see you. So let's get into a little bit of your journey. How did you become so passionate about holistic reproductive health and fertility awareness? That's a really good question. I do think I was, well, from a very young age, I was very fascinated with being a midwife and herbal medicine and things like that. And then as I got older and, you know, hit puberty, I read a book called The Red Tent. Um, Maybe people have heard of it. And I do feel like The Red Tent fully transformed me as a person. So at that age, around 11, 12, um, I got very obsessed with menstrual cycles and having one and being excited to have one and talking about them and learning about them. And then throughout high school, I was in a lot of ways, the kid was just like, I am researching sex. I am not having sex, but I'm learning about it so I can inform myself and other people. Um, So being well-informed about reproductive health and the menstrual cycle and avoiding pregnancy and all those things are really important to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I grew up in what I like to call a sex neutral to sex negative household. So it wasn't like people were giving this to me. This is just kind of where I came to it. 
Um, and so I was just very passionate about understanding how my body worked as much as I could um, and seeing that as an important piece of myself, um, you know, sexual and reproductive health wise, even if I wasn't like having penetrative sex, I was just interested in learning more about it. Um, and then when I did become sexually active, I went on the pill and I felt very informed and like, I am going on the pill and I'm not going to get pregnant. I will not be a statistics and maybe, maybe I will get boobs. Um, <laughs> How'd that work out for get, you? <laughs> did not get boobs, um, but did not get pregnant, which was more important. <laughs> um, and then um, I moved to California in my early 20s and immediately got into a lot of witchy shit, as a lot of people do. Hell and yeah. so- yeah, you you know that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just became really curious about what my body was doing underneath the pill. And so I had enough information to say, I know that, you know, hormonal birth control is suppressing my menstrual cycle um, and all these things. But I just I want to just see what's happening. You know, I want to connect to the moon it was like literally a thought I had. Yes. Um, but through that, I was also like, I do not want to get pregnant. I'm still not interested in getting pregnant, but also do not want to be on hormonal birth control. And along the way, someone said, well, have you heard of a book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility? I said I had not, but I will look at it. And I did. And Taking Charge of Your Fertility is by Tony Weschler, is like the Bible of fertility awareness. If you are curious, as we get into this conversation, um, it's so much information about our menstrual cycles and way beyond just like having a period and having to deal with blood flow roughly every 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it blew my mind. It completely blew my mind. And I learned that ovulation is an observable event. Ovulation is not random. You just can't get pregnant any random day of your cycle. Um, and in fact, you could track these things and use that to avoid pregnancy. And so that piece of information sent me down this very long path of, wow, this is fascinating and I want to use this for myself. And I want to teach other people about it um, from really a perspective of like, this is cool. You could do this. This is an option. Um, Not to say that any other option is better or worse necessarily, but like this is a cool one that you could just learn about your body. Um, And it was very like a very awakening experience for me personally and just fascinating, endlessly fascinating. So we can talk about all the birth controls I've done. I've done many of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to learn fertility awareness. I want to learn how to use it. And then I studied at Justice College, um, which is an international organization that teaches a symptothermal method of fertility awareness. What does that mean? <laughs> so we can, we'll talk about that. Um, and I graduated in 2019. So I've been, I've been doing this work for a few years now. Um, symptothermal, we want to get into all the nitty gritty about fertility awareness. Yes, I do. <laughs> it simply means like symptom means the symptoms. And particularly we mean cervical mucus or cervical fluid or that discharge you see roughly once a month. And you're like, what is this? Am I getting a yeast infection? What is happening here? That's generally a sign of like you can get pregnant or a sign of fertility in that cycle. So cervical mucus is the symptom. And then the thermal is basal body temperature which is your temperature first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. So your resting temperature. Got it. And combining those two signs, you can know pretty accurately when ovulation is approaching and once it has happened. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I teach people how to observe those signs and use them for whatever goal they have. So if you're trying not to get pregnant, that's kind of my favorite thing because I, I do think it's really important and great information to have that you can use this to avoid avoid pregnancy. It's a path that requires a great deal of um of dedication and, you know, self-discipline and things like that. So it's not just like, oh, just use a period tracker app. That's not what we want to do. Right. Um but yeah, you can you can let me silence this. Okay. You can reliably use fertility awareness to avoid pregnancy if you so choose. Um And then, you know, a lot of people find fertility awareness when they're trying to get pregnant. Hmm. Um, That is kind of often where people get to it. It is sometimes called natural family. It is sometimes called natural family planning, um, which tends to be more religious. So Mm -hmm. if you're a Catholic, if you grew up Catholic and you got married in the Catholic church, for example, you were probably given some information about your menstrual cycle, which is cool, but not what I'm doing. It's very similar. We're all kind of looking at the same, same things. 
but I teach it from a very secular point of view. It's very much like fertility awareness for sluts. Fuck yes. Well, you've come to the right place for that approach. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah. So that was kind of my journey. And along that journey, and it's still unfolding, but at this, you know, around the same time, I also learned about you and met you. And that was all part of like the early 20s exploration that brought me to this place today. I I love our friendship. I was having, as you're talking about cervical mucus, like flashbacks of you coming to my housewarming party in 2019 and talking to one of my brother's college roommates from West Point about cervical mucus and just watching his head explode in the best way. He was he was delighted. He was so fascinated and engaged by this conversation. It's one of my favorite things to talk to like men or, you know, people who are signed male at birth about menstrual cycles. It yes. is it fills me with such joy because on one hand, they're a little squeamish about it. And so you're like, oh, let me let me say the words discharge and menstruation. But they're also like very fascinated. Like generally, okay. it's not people being like, they're not like, ew, gross. They're like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, and so that that combination of like, they're like a little scared and a little excited is like very <laughs> fun for me. That's a fun edge in a lot of places around sex and bodies. Yeah. A little scared and a little excited. Yeah. Good things are happening at that intersection. Um, so when, when it comes to mindfulness, which I think is a skill that we're all trying to cultivate in our daily lives, where do you think mindfulness, you mentioned discipline and and self-awareness, like how does that play a role in understanding and practicing fertility awareness? That's such a good question. So actually one of my teachers, her name is Jenny Kuss. Uh, she's Swedish, so I may be mispronouncing her last name, um, but she's a justice educator, and she actually refers to fertility awareness as pussy mindfulness. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and it really is. That's what it is. So it is a daily practice. Um, it, it probably depends on the method you're using, but I'd say generally speaking, especially how I teach it, you are checking in on what's going on at the entrance of your vagina, at your vulva daily throughout the day, every single day of your cycle. Um, and the way we do that is just by wiping. So it's not like you have to like set aside special time. You just kind of habit stack it onto you're going to the bathroom and you're wiping anyway. So you're just going to add in some wiping before and after. Hmm. So it is It is definitely quite a mindfulness practice because you actually have to start thinking about wiping and yeah. you have to think about like, what did I see on the toilet paper? What does this mean? And then how does that inform my sexual choices for that day or the next few days? Um, so on a personal level, it requires, you know, the discipline to like learn how to use a method and mm -hmm. then actively impl implement it every day and then take action based on that information. So, you know, generally speaking, most of the people I'm talking to are in heterosexual relationships. Sure. Um, not always, but generally. Mm -hmm. um, and so you as the person with the menstrual cycle are responsible for then conveying to your partner if they have semen, if they have sperm, that, hey, today is a day in which pregnancy is possible. So it requires like a degree of you being willing and able to check in on what's happening down there, what's happening from the cervix through the vagina, out through the um, entrance of the vagina to the vulva, mm -hmm. and then communicating that to your partner. And then from there, it's about you and your partner you know, taking the correct or taking the best action um, based on how what your goals are, right? If you're trying not to get pregnant, you got to take some adjustments. If you're trying to get pregnant, you have to make some adjustments as well. Um, and then, of course, them respecting that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in a world where we do not have full bodily autonomy, a 24-7 method of birth control does make a lot of sense, right? Like the yeah. pill makes lots of sense. The IUD makes lots of sense. Um, if you don't have full control over your reproductive choices or your bodily autonomy, but if you do, which I hope you do, I hope everyone does um, in a perfect world, you know, you can use this, you can use this as an opportunity to communicate together. We don't want to get pregnant. If you if we have sex right now and you put your penis in me and semen gets in my vagina, we could get pregnant. Is that something we want to be doing? Um, and that is that is a, requires a degree of communication. Yeah, it's very, very important. And I love that. I'm trying to decide if I want to go straight into cervical mucus or if I want to dance around. Let's go into cervical mucus first. So can you give us, you know, without delving too, too deeply, but just like, I know that there's different consistencies of mucus, right? There's yeah. the sort of egg white, there's more of like the pasty. Can you talk about like a couple of different 
big genres to look out for if somebody's like i've never looked at my cervical mucus before what does it even yeah do? for sure so yes yes so the, okay so let's start with what is the point so cervical mucus has a very specific role its job is to keep sperm alive so most of the time, most of your menstrual cycle, your vagina is a sperm killing machine. The pH <laughs> sperm do not like an acidic environment. They die quite quickly within a few minutes inside um, an acidic, non-fertile vagina. Um, so, you know, hot tip. But what happens is as you approach ovulation which is when the egg is released from the ovary. Um, that is the only time where pregnancy is possible when there's a viable egg and sperm. Mm -hmm. But as you get close to that point of your menstrual cycle, which happens about two weeks before you get your period, um, you'll start to notice cervical mucus. And again, some people just think of it as discharge. So it can start off usually looking like kind of creamy, pasty white stuff, right? And you might notice in your underwear, there is a streak of something crusty white, or maybe there's mounds of it. Or for some people, it might be very obvious. You're like, there's just like so much coming out of my vagina. But usually it starts as like, okay, there's like some white stuff in my underwear. Um, then it, from there, it might progress over the next couple of days to being like what people call um, uh, raw egg white quality cervical mucus, which means it looks like a raw egg white. So if you were to stretch that between your fingers, like that consistency, that color, right? It also kind of looks like snot, right? Mm -hmm. So we say cervical mucus because it does look like mucus. It is, it's different, but that's what it looks like. But its job is to keep sperm alive. So as you approach ovulation, like I said, the cervix actually physically opens. So the cervix is that part of the uterus that kind of connects to the vagina. It's like the bridge between the two. Mm -hmm. It physically opens and it has it's lined with all these little crypts that produce cervical mucus. And so as estrogen is rising, as we're getting closer to ovulation, cervical mucus is produced and it flows through the cervix and through the vagina, changing the pH. So the pH then shifts from acidic to more alkaline, the same alkalinity as semen and what sperm like. Um, and so with cervical mucus, sperm can now survive the vagina. Not only that, but the cervical mucus provides them these nice little channels to travel through, gets them into the cervix where they actually kind of hang out in some of those crypts, like they spend some time in there. And then they travel up to the rest of the female reproductive tract. So through the uterus into the fallopian tubes. And from there, they can live for three to five days. Mm. So they hang out waiting to see if ovulation happens. The egg is released eventually, right? Ovulation happens. Um, and then the egg itself lives really no longer than 24 hours. It's probably shorter. We kind of say 24 hours in case someone ovulates more than one egg at a time, which sure. is possible, right? That's how we get fraternal twins or triplets. Um, but generally, everyone's ovulating. Most people ovulate one egg and it dies within like 12-ish hours. So sperm are there ready and waiting when the egg is released because it has a shorter lifespan. But that's the purpose of cervical mucus. Its whole purpose is to keep sperm alive. How you can use that information is to say, aha, this is the time when sperm can be kept alive. This means I'm approaching ovulation. So if I don't want to get pregnant, I should keep sperm out of my vagina. If I do want to get pregnant, now is the only time where pregnancy is possible. That's such helpful information to have, especially now living in a post Roe v. Wade world in the United States. Now, some of the listeners are not in the U.S., but for those U.S. residents, you know, we all had a pretty, those of us who are, are able to get pregnant, had a pretty rude awakening when that happened. And, you know, I think it makes the work of someone like Carol Downer even more important. So can we talk a little bit about who is Carol Downer? What's her work? What does she do? Uh, and why do we love her so much? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to say too, like, I feel like if you're, if for whatever, for many reasons, right there, people choose contraceptive methods for all kinds of reasons. And if for whatever reason you don't want to, or you can't use a hormonal method, I would say like understanding your times of fertility in your cycle is critical information. Cause then you know when to like use contraceptive, like use a condom or something like that. Mm-hmm take emergency contraception sure. or when you might need to take a pregnancy test and understand like if you could be pregnant. So critical, critical information, not as complicated as we think. It's complex, but it's not complicated. Um, but yeah, Carol Downer. So I love that you bring this up. So Carol Downer um, is actually still alive. She's in the she LA is. area. And she was one of a group of women who in the 60s and 70s, 
before Roe v. Wade even came into existence. So when abortion was made illegal the first time, mm-hmm. and to be clear, it's not illegal across the country, but there are definitely parts of the United States where abortion is illegal or at least heavily restricted. And sometimes it looks like you get a felony and sometimes it looks like you get fined or sometimes it looks like your neighbors collecting bounties on your head. But it's not across the whole country. Right. It's, state it's by very state. state to state. And, you know, it's the South is where it's probably the worst. The South, the Midwest. Big surprise. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a whole other subject. Yeah. All kinds of things. But so, you know, in this in this pre pre Roe v. Wade world, um, women and people who could get pregnant were still getting abortions. So the fact that abortion was illegal dissuaded people, right, led to definitely some more dangerous situations. Women definitely died seeking quote unquote, illegal abortions. Right. Mm -hmm. But many women didn't. And we just don't hear about that because it was illegal and perhaps considered shameful. And so you just didn't talk about it. Um, So all these things. So Carol Downer was part of a movement that one taught women how to uh, like examine their own vaginas and look inside, right? Inside part, like literally the vulva and the vagina, look Mm -hmm. at their own cervixes and create like create more awareness around that part of our body because at that point in time it was still like pretty taboo to look at yourself to look at your vulva um and speculum specula speculums were medical tools now you can buy a speculum on amazon which largely is thanks to the work of carol downer so they were taking speculums and other like medical equipment from doctors offices um and and sharing them with women across the country and carol downer would go on these tours with other women in her collective and do um, public or not public, but they would do like pelvic exams. They would show they would have someone demonstrate like inserting a speculum and everyone would look around and look inside their vagina and look at their cervix and look at their vulva and really just, I guess, this idea of like consciousness raising or specifically around like women's reproductive anatomy, women's sexual anatomy. Um, And also as part of that, they also did some work around helping people understand how to end pregnancies on their own terms. So menstrual extraction, which is um, basically where you insert a cannula into the uterus and use that to like kind of clear the contents. Mm -hmm. That was it's it's a very like um, DIY approach to either abortion, which is usually how it was used, or just like you wanted to skip your period. Um, so just that was suck something. out what's in there. Yeah, literally. Um, that was something that she helped develop. Um, and you can actually find that if you can find this book called A New View of the Woman, A New View of a Woman's Body. It's out of print, but you can sometimes find it on Amazon or other like, you know, eBay places like that. It's incredible. It's still like one of like my favorite um, teaching tools. And there's a whole chapter on menstrual extraction in there um, or ME and they called the little device that they created, which was like a mason jar and like some tubing and a stopper, right? Um, the Dell M, which means, which stands for dirty little machine, which is how they <laughs> thought people would see it. They So they right. said like, it was kind of like a joke about how it would be perceived. Um, but yeah, so that's a Dell M. That's a little piece of it. But um, yeah, I've gotten to meet Carol Downer. She's still out here. She's still talking and, and sharing really great information. And you have a photo of her. Yes, I do. House. I do. <laughs> I have a large like 16 by 20 black and white photo of Carol Downer at the 1974 National Organization of Women conference doing a uh genital cervical exam uh in front of a group of onlookers and there's somebody holding a flashlight and there's carol and i had the opportunity to meet her at the um imagine goddard's uh at your cervix screening she was there you were in that documentary we'll get to that that in a second in fact actually we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back into all of this awesomeness just hang on for a second. We need to do a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors and we will be right back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle and I'm Ashley Manta, the Canisexual, and we are talking with Vienna Farlow, the consultant. Stay there. We'll be right back. But right now, let's tell everybody about Topless Travel and the amazing trips we have planned for next year. Absolutely. So, you know, Topless Travel offers the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences ever from hedonism to in jamaica desire in cancun and all the bliss cruise adventures topless travel needs to be your number one choice 
Other trips are all about pushing boundaries and exploring your naughty side. And their exclusive sexy host couples like Jessica and Justin and Party Mark are always there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. So you know you'll find us on many of the topless travel trips, but listen up, we'll be back at Hedonism 2 for their Swinging for Newbies event, April 6th to 14th, 2024, Um, and we hope to meet you there. Perhaps uh, you'll come up, say hello, and be on our show, and um, tell us about your first experience at Hedo. And for more information about their trips, visit toplesstravel.com to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And as a quick reminder, if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. That's sdc.com and promo code 30314. And before we forget, we want to invite you to join us with April and Scott from the Naughty Gym as they host their first full takeover of Hedonism 2 in Jamaica during the week of January 6th to 13th. 2024 we're going to be broadcasting on location from this awesome sexy fitness week and for more information you can go to our website thesexylifestyle.com and book your week and we hope to see you there with us naked on the beach mm-hmm. this is the sexy lifestyle and i'm ashley manta from canisexual sitting in for carol and david today now let's get back to our show with vienna farlow the cunt sultant all right so before we took a break we were just getting into um imagine goddard's uh documentary at your cervix that you were actually a part of i was so excited when i went to the screening i was like know her (laughs) can you talk a little like quickly about that documentary as well yeah yeah so i highly recommend everyone check it out i think they have some like more global online screaming screening options available now but the the basic premise of the documentary is about how um still to this day throughout the United States, um, pelvic exams. So are performed on anesthetized, is that how you say it, anesthetized patients. So people who are, who are, who are not conscious and they are not given informed consent that they will have pelvic exams done on them by medical students. Mm-hmm. And throughout the United States, that is in fact legal. Um, and there are certain States where they have made it illegal largely because of Imagine's work um, and advocating for this. So I highly recommend just going to check out at your cervix and learn more about it. Um, but as part, which is, again, it's it, it, it's a horrific practice that still does happen. Um, so please check out the work of at your cervix. Um, but the part of the documentary that I'm in was they hosted a um, cervix exam like party kind of in that way of like the old school um, of what Carol Downer did. So we all, a a group of, I, it was, it was a while ago. It was several years ago. So I can't, I feel like it was like 2016, 2017, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, they, it was in LA and a group of us. And I think pretty much everyone there had a vulva and um, imagine did a pelvic or a, a, I keep saying pelvic exam, but she, they used a speculum and showed their vulva to everyone. So yes. It was like, here's how you do it. Here's how you use a speculum on yourself. Here's how you can look inside your vagina and look at your own cervix. And so the demonstration, and then we all did it ourselves. If you wanted to, you didn't have to, but we watched someone show us their vulva and then we got to do it ourselves. On a side note, I don't know Imagine's pronouns. I believe it's she, they. So I think okay. we're, we're solid. We're on solid ground. Imagine if, if we are incorrect on your pronouns, please let us know and we will um, so sorry. make adjustments as needed. Just wanted to check. Um, yes. So we did we did that. And so actually so there was a, a friend of mine in San Diego. We were like connected through an Instagram or Facebook group. And we, we met that day. We got in a car together and I drove us to LA and we all looked at each other's cervixes. And so it's like a very good bonding experience for me looking at people's cervixes. Yes. And we've had multiple opportunities to do that together yeah, since that I did a, a body sex workshop that was filmed for an MTV documentary that unfortunately landed on the cutting room floor. But let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. that was the last event that we did before COVID. Right before COVID. That was a wild weekend. So if you can imagine, this is February of 2020. I have, it was you, me, Yvonne, 
Is that it? There's somebody else. There's one other person who I'm forgetting, and I deeply apologize to that person. <laughs> um, but we, I had been approached by MTV, who was doing this documentary on cannabis, and Lizzie Jeff came and decorated my whole apartment, making it look totally beautiful. And I had just gotten certified the last year as a body sex facilitator from Betty Dodson, who was uh, also a contemporary of, of Carol Downers. They have a really cool interview together where Betty talks about how she's jealous that Carol went to jail and Betty never did, um, which is such a Betty thing to say. But we sat for two days and it was an all-female crew, which was very cool. And they filmed us doing, you know, the the some of the most interesting parts of the body sex. The entire body sex experience is interesting. But, like, we had them there for the erotic massage. We did a whole ritual on the beach that was, like, a, a release ritual, which was really cool. Uh, we used cannabis, and that was filmed. And, and we'll get in in a second to, like, how cannabis fits into all of this. But it was a really powerful experience. And even though the the clip will never see the light of day uh i'm really grateful that we got to do that together it was so fun and yeah it was like it was february 2020 Mm -hmm. i think right it was like right then it's like the end Um, of february too yeah it was like the the very very last thing i did i think like big like outward thing um no it was so fun it was so cool like what a unique experience we're all like naked smoking cannabis like that (laughs) i was really excited to just tell people like i was on mtv naked smoking cannabis that didn't happen but maybe one day i mean maybe maybe one day they'll like unearth it from the archives and be like this happened in 2020 it was like back in pre-pandemic um right. that was such a cool thing and yeah we did we did part of that was like a self-exam i guess that's the word i've been looking for so like yes. a self-exam and so i do think learning how to use a speculum like insert one yourself and use it for your own means is really powerful and one of the things with body sex and i think one of the things i would say like look at your vulva is especially if you are um a heterosexual lady or person with a vulva you aren't seeing a lot of vulvas <laughs> like you you it, it's hard to see your own you do have to put some effort into it it's not mm-hmm. impossible but you know you do have to um take some some time and you know angles and assume know, the position yeah <laughs> um, in order to see it versus like a penis which is very easy to see like a penis is is quite they're technically both in the same position it's just the pen- penis is much more outward facing, easier to see. So you're not really seeing a lot of other vulvas. And if you are seeing vulvas, there's a good chance you're seeing certain depictions of certain kinds of vulvas, right? They tend to be very symmetrical and perhaps hairless and perhaps white. And maybe you're seeing it in the context of porn or an anatomy drawing that's like just a very like, we just want to show you the, the pieces here versus like the full spectrum of what vulvas can look like. And they can look like a whole bunch of different things. It's amazing. I love people's genitals. Genitals are like so cool. They're so uh, cool. But if you, they're so cool. Um, and so I think it is really powerful for anyone, but like especially, you know, women and people with vulvas who don't see other vulvas on a regular basis to look at their own and then see other vulvas because it, you kind of get set up in this position where it's like you go to the gynecologist and the gynecologist looks at your vulva and your partner looks at your vulva, but you don't look at your vulva. And it does kind of set up this idea that it's like, well, it's for other people to look at and engage with and not really for me to look at and engage with. Right. And I do think there's something quite powerful to looking at it and engaging with it. And, you know, so many people I've taught, like I did a class called Salute the Salute the Cervix um, or Salute Your Cervix a few years ago, which is again, like a self-exam workshop. And I had a graphic that like shows I'm, like holding a speculum, which this is a vi- the audio medium, but I'm holding one and it's like open and it's at an angle and it's like quite jaunty. But there was like several people who were deeply triggered by that that image because a lot, a lot of us, perhaps the majority, have had very negative, if not traumatizing experiences with speculums and in the gynecologist's office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing you could try. You certainly don't have to, but inviting you to think about this, it, learning how to place a speculum yourself and asking at your next gynecological appointment or you get a pap smear or whatever is like, hey, can I place my own speculum? 
Mm. And or can you can we can I have a mirror to see what you're looking at is something you can definitely ask for. And if your doctor is a dick about it (laughs) to like get a new doctor, get a new doctor. Also Um, warm up the fucking speculums. Like if I do not walk in and see a heating pad in the exam table, I'm walking the fuck back out like and I'm giving a plug right now for midwives. So hot Mm. tip. Speaking of warmed up speculums, um, midwives do not just deliver babies. They also do reproductive care. And the only time someone has warmed up a speculum was when I went to see a midwife for a pap smear. Granted, she was also my friend. So that's a whole other thing about she has done pap smears at my house on my couch, which is really the best way to do it. But when I went to her office, she like had it pre-warmed. Amazing. Um, and the the most comfortable so comfortable to the point like I didn't realize there was really a speculum in my body were done by midwives. So mm. not to say there, there's definitely gynecologists out there who are very skilled and very gentle and all those things. And if you want to stay on top of your reproductive care, but you don't want to go to the gynecologist, it, it shouldn't prevent you from getting the care you need. Maybe check out your local midwife. Check out your local midwife. And that sort of really brings us beautifully into this idea of holistic reproductive health and and where does cannabis fit into that if any place yeah that's such a good question i mean holistic to me um i'm i'm definitely a both and person and so especially as i get older and i just learn more things and i'm like you know we don't have to just it doesn't have to just be herbs and it doesn't have to just be like pharmacological pharmacological medications you get from a pharmacy, right? It can be both of those things. And sometimes you need them. Um, as in recently when you were my herpes support person. I got you, babe. <laughs> and I had this whole experience of like we were using all the topicals on my genitalia, but you know what really did it? That, you know, medication that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> oh, the acyclovir. Thank you. That one. Yes. It was like, okay, combination. We've got the topicals. These are really helping, mm-hmm. but you really got it. You got to do both sometimes. Um, got to do both. And uh, just quick PSA, y'all, everybody has herpes. Chill about it. <laughs> also, because this, because you are my herpes support person, um, I have HSV1, never had an outbreak. One time I had an outbreak, it was on my genitalia. Mm-hmm. Randomly out of nowhere. So, So <laughs> you probably have it and don't even know that you have it and it's okay. It's okay. I have had genital HSV2 since 2009. It has not stopped me from being slutty and oh. in fact has actually worked as a really beautiful litmus test for prospective partners because if they freak out about something that's that common, I probably don't want to have sex with them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Relax. I mean, litmus tests, like a good filter. I mean, my business name is a filter. You, yeah, you call it, you, you, you name your business the cunt sultant and that is going to filter for you. And it's great because it's like, well, we can all figure out what we like here it's yes. informed if consent. we are a fit to work together likewise with canisexual like <laughs> you pretty much know what you're getting walking in the door a hundred percent um yeah so with cannabis and holistic health I, it's i don't really do a lot of work with people with cannabis in my work directly cannabis mm-hmm. is something that i partake in myself and i think has like a whole like a wealth of applications um there's definitely you know companies like foria that would you know made like um cannabis infused lubes which I'm, i know you've talked about at length before which can really enhance sensation or just make sex more comfortable oh it also like lube use lube lube use is great lube use it um suppositories right they Mm. make suppositories that can really help with menstrual cramps yes obviously we know that cannabis has like a lot of pain relieving properties so that's like a great application for it as well if that's something that you're open to and like to use great way to reduce pain during menstruation if that's something that you experience um and then i think you know where does that fit in in the rest of your life but from like a holistic perspective for me as a provider it is very much like it's a both and of like okay what do you as the person want how do you want to engage with your health and how can we help you have that relationship um we were kind of chatting before and some of the work that i do is fertility like i don't really call myself a fertility coach but what i do is like akin to fertility coaching people who are trying to get pregnant at this point, a large part of the people I talk to. Um, and what comes up is people asking about cannabis use. Mm. Um, so I don't really deal with pregnancy. 
um to be clear i'm like everything around it but not pregnancy i'm like the before and the after and all that um i think most of us know but i will say is we just don't have enough research on cannabis and human reproduction to have all all the information we'd want um and that's because it's been you know a a deeply illegal substance and so you couldn't study it right um there is an organization i believe called elephant circle um i believe they're based in colorado and they do a lot of advocacy work and research um and like information sharing around cannabis and pregnancy um so in that in that piece one of the things to know is that you know it it is even though cannabis is becoming more and more legalized or at least less demonized or all those things throughout the united states it is still something that separates parents from children. Like if you, um, and by that, I mean forcibly, right? The state steps in and says, you're smoke, you as the pregnant person, the mother have, you have cannabis in your bloodstream, your child can be taken away from you. And that does happen. And surprising no one, um, it largely happens to BIPOC uh, people more than it does to white people. Um, So that still does happen. Um, so something to be aware of if you someone who's pregnant and using cannabis, um, we don't have enough information on how it impacts pregnancy. Um, I'm hoping we will eventually. It's really hard to study effects in pregnancy, though, because it's kind of unethical, like very unethical to um, do studies of pregnant people, of pregnant women, of pregnancies, especially if you think there could be some danger to the fetus. Right. So like right. that's really hard. Um I do know from some of that work, a lot of the research that we do have, it's kind of a mix of people using cannabis and tobacco together. Mm. So when you look at like, okay, what are the negative effects of this? Is it strictly cannabis or is it tobacco? And right. is it both being used together? So that's something that I remember learning from that certain point. Um, but if you are someone who is trying to get pregnant, there is evidence to suggest that cannabis use negatively impacts sperm quality. And, you know, we always think about, you know, if you're the person with the uterus and the eggs, we think about your health and what's going on with your menstrual cycle and all those things. Like it's it's very much, again, in more of like a heteronormative dynamic, it's put on the woman to say like, okay, well, you're the one carrying the pregnancy. So we got to like really hone in on what's going on in your health and focus largely on you, both positively and negatively. Um, so if you're not getting pregnant, it's probably your fault. If you are getting pregnant, well, you're just lucky. So like, which is not fair, no. but that is how it is or that uh, largely. Um, and also it's not true. You have kind of, there's, a, it's about a 50, 50, if you're not getting pregnant, um, that it's either something with the person with the eggs or something with the person with the sperm. Um, but there is research to suggest that cannabis use negatively impacts sperm quality and sperm quality is very important to getting pregnant and staying pregnant. Mm. Um, so something I do suggest is if the person with the sperm in a relationship uses a lot of cannabis, that they stop doing that for the duration of trying to get pregnant. Um, and the thing about sperm is they're made on a 24 hour basis. So you can actually improve sperm quality a lot easier than you can egg quality. Right. Um, but you kind of want to think about it on like a three month time frame, um, even though they they rebound a lot quicker. But that's not a great one. And then I was trying to, in terms of like getting pregnant, um, in terms of not getting pregnant, we don't know. I wouldn't say like extensive cannabis use is a great contraceptive option, but um, I have read in certain places and I found one um, of the things I was thinking of that cannabis is a contraceptive herb. So if you look in like some old herbals, like herbal manuals, um, especially ones that are dealing with, you know, using herbs for reproductive purposes, I have seen cannabis listed as a contraceptive. Um, again, you, I can't tell you to use it, but I have seen that. Um, and then from the like, female uterus having person perspective it's also listed i was looking in the susan weed she's an um a, a very prolific herbalist written many books she lists cannabis as an amenagogue um and so an amenagogue is something that brings on your period if your period is missing for a variety of reasons which could also include pregnancy she does list like cannabis flower as a way to induce bleeding not an herbalist, not endorsing any of this, not saying you should do any of this, not a doctor. Um, But these are some things I've read. So it's interesting because you kind of would think like, 
I'm sure there are many listeners who are like, well, the way I got pregnant did. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, your decision to use it, I think is very weighed in that way of like, okay, pros, cons, all those things, but just, just something to be aware of. Um, I am always hoping we will have more information on that. But right now it is something that I'm saying, if you're trying to get pregnant, it's probably a good thing to cut out or at least like very reduce your consumption. That totally makes sense. Not as fun, but like less fun, but you know, it's good data. It's, it's always good information to have. And with that, let's remind everyone that this is the sexy lifestyle. I'm Ashley Manta from Canisexual sitting in for Carol and David today. And we are having an amazing discussion with Vienna Farlow, the cunt sultant. But for now, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do. As many of you know, I'm a sex and relationship coach. I have recently become a provider at the Shape Center in Beverly Hills, which is run by Dr. Shannon Chavez. She is uh, my dear friend and, and colleague in arms. And together we have launched a really exciting offering called Concierge Coaching and Therapy, which is designed for folks who have non-traditional lives where they don't have the kind of schedules that will allow them to go to weekly therapy or coaching sessions for weeks and months on end. We are doing more um, boutique style where we're available within 24 hours. We do deep dive days or weekends or even week-long immersions with our clients, and and we are available on a retainer basis. Um, So if you're curious about that, visit shapecenter.org. There will be a link in the show notes. But this is The Sexy Lifestyle. I'm Ashley Manta. Now, let's get back to our show with Vienna Farlow, the cunt sultant. So, V, this is a podcast that, you know, a large swinger population listens to and otherwise non-monogamous folks. So, can we talk a little bit about how um, non-monogamy influences fertility awareness, reproductive considerations, and, you know, I'm going to Jamaica in January to uh, hedonism, with Carol and David, with uh, the amazing folks from Naughty Gym, Scott and April, uh, for Be Better at Being Bad Week. What do people need to know when they're going into group sex scenarios and and fertility is on their mind? <laughs> a really great question. I mean, I think one of the, I kind of alluded to this earlier, like I just, I like, I, I want to make a class at some point called Fertility Awareness for Sluts, um, because it is kind of seen as a thing that you can only do if you're monogamous and married. And honestly, that's thanks to the Catholics. Um, And so a lot, again, like I was mentioning at the beginning, like natural family planning or NFP, as it's called, if you find someone who's teaching that, they may only teach it to people who are in heterosexual relationships and some kind of committed, like legally binding relationship. So like either engaged or married. Um, And traditionally, that's how it was largely taught. Fertility awareness, though, kind of deviates from that and says, we don't care how you identify or who you're having sex with or how many people or if you're married or not, who cares? You deserve to have this information. And so that's the approach I take. Um, And I also think it's like as a person who is non-monogamous and has had many sexual partners while using fertility awareness and has not gotten pregnant, it is completely possible to do this. Um, Contraceptive choices are complex and individual and all those things. But it is certainly something you can use, especially if you're motivated by that, right? If you're like, okay, I want to like navigate my fertility without the use of hormones. How do I avoid pregnancy, especially in like group sex situations? Well, I would say if it's a fertile day and you're planning to have group sex, I would be really diligent about your condom usage. Um, Perhaps, you know, make sure you have some emergency contraception on hand if you think there was an oopsie. Um, But that would be the main thing, right? So all your best... um, contraceptive practices if you were not using, if you were just using a non-hormonal method. But what's added with, and I think really, I do feel strongly that anyone who's using a non-hormonal method as their primary form of contraception should also be adding in fertility awareness because if nothing else, it just takes the stress out of it. So if you can say like, and look at your cycle and be like, okay, my cycle is like usually 30 days and we should also keep in mind ovulation moves around. So you can't use a period tracker app because it's based on just like everything's the same for you every month, right? And you're like, no, my life is a human life in the world and chaos happens and I get sick and horrible things happen and I go on vacation and my boss needs whatever, right? Ovulation moves around. So if you can say, 
okay, looking at my schedule, I had my period on this day. My cycle is usually 30-ish days. I tend to notice ovulation signs happening around cervical mucus showing up around day 16. Um, you could try and plan that orgy before right. you go into those fertile days. The other thing to keep in mind is that not everyone, but often people feel their libido is at the highest around ovulation, which is... <laughs> There have been some studies that indicate like it doesn't really matter. Like it, it, it it's not exactly a myth, but it, it varies from person to person. But you are getting like extra estrogen, which can make you feel a little more juicy. And you are getting a bump in testosterone, which also does like increase your sex drive. So keep that in mind. Um, but I, at, at the very least, you can, you have more, essentially you have more choice because you have more information. So you can say, this is a fertile day for me. This is where I'm kind of at in the spectrum of my menstrual cycle and ovulation, how cautious do I want to be here? And so again, because it's a roughly, I'm going to say roughly statistically average, it's about a week in which pregnancy is possible in any given menstrual cycle. So about a week, most menstrual cycles are four-ish weeks. So you got three-ish weeks where you can't get pregnant. So another thing you could do is be like, okay, I confirmed ovulation. I know I'm past the window where like, even if I got all the semen in me, I would not get pregnant. <laughs> You may not, and that's like after ovulation, which is what's called the luteal phase. And as we get closer to our periods, sometimes we feel like our least sexy. So you got to like tune into yourself. But same thing, if you're not using, if you're, if you're using a non-hormonal method and you really want to be diligent about both like STI prevention and pregnancy prevention, of course, condoms are great, very important. But you can, you could shift things. You can say, okay, like this is the time where like I could get pregnant and having, you know, multiple options as the father of this child isn't something I want to do, or maybe it is. I mean, that also gives you greater choice, right? Sure. Um, but you, you can you can time things a little bit better if you just understand what's happening more in your cycle. But it, just to say, like, just because using fertility awareness, I also teach it in a way that says use barriers. Sure. There are ways that people teach it where it's like perfect use. And some people's goal is to not use a barrier at all and either use withdrawal or abstinence during that time or do some other kind of sexual activity. Um, so yeah, it's not for just monogamous people. It's for anyone who just wants to have that a different kind of relationship with their cycles and with their reproductive health. Um, so you can, you can always massage these things to be what you want. I love that. This is so helpful. Now, because we're both a little kinky and a little freaky, Let's talk about breeding kinks and fantasies because I am someone who has known since I was a kid that motherhood is not a choice that I'm going to make for myself in my life. It's just not my calling. Um, I love being an auntie to my friend's kids, but that is something that I have never wanted for myself and never want for myself. Um, and my Canadian daddy has a vasectomy, which is super hot. And I have an IUD, so we're like double baby proof. Yes. But there are a few things in this world that get me as turned on as the thought or fantasy of my lover knocking me up. <laughs> so let's let's delve into that a little bit. <laughs> I also want to come back to the idea of um, the inherent kinkiness of fertility awareness, but we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back Hell to yes. it. Um, but <laughs> I told you this before. My hot take is that breeding fetishes are just basic human sexual instinct um especially if you're in a heterosexual dynamic if you're not i mean i don't know this is this is my take and it's and you can all feel free to come for me it's fine um i understand also that it's kinky um but it it does seem like a normal expression of human sexuality to be like either wanting to be impregnated or wanting to impregnate someone i think it gets really kinky when we're fooling around with like who is doing it um, right so yeah, like who gets to do the impregnating and being pregnant. And there's all kinds of ways. I know people use breeding kinks in all kinds of different ways. So I'm being a little facetious. But when someone, I had someone else ask me about this, like breeding kinks, I was like, I, mean, I had to Google just to make sure I knew I was talking about. I was like, isn't this just like heterosexual sex? But <laughs> I'm being, I'm being an asshole. Um, but yeah, breeding kinks and fertility awareness, there's definitely some inherent tension, I think in using this method and avoiding pregnancy. And so um, for some people, they're actively using it to get pregnant. So you do 
and that's a whole journey because there's people who are like, I think it starts out really hot trying to get pregnant. And as the months goes on, it probably, it, it, it everyone's on a different spectrum, but like it gets less hot the longer it's taking because you're like, I thought I could just get pregnant and now it's taking forever. Um, but when you're, I, I think there is like, there's, there's a lot of tension in that of like, okay, if we put the semen in the vagina, you get pregnant. And we're all taught like pregnancy is so policed, like kind of literally, but also, um, figuratively of like who can get pregnant and when they can get pregnant and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And that is all of the ingredients to create a really juicy kink, right? Right. Of Like the rules around it and who's doing it and all that. So I, I do completely understand it also. Totally. It becomes subversive. It's also, there's an ownership aspect, at least for me, like, you know, Canadian daddy and I have a daddy girl dominant submissive dynamic and, so the thought of him putting something into my body that changes my body, that binds me to him, like that's very hot for me, even though I don't actually want to get pregnant and bear a child. Like we can play out what that would look like. And oh, once you get me pregnant, you're going to fuck me every day. And like, it gets real sexy. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. And I, it's also interesting because I think for many, not everyone, but like for some people that I work with, they're in this phase of life where like, I don't want to get pregnant now, but I do want to get pregnant at some point in the future. And there can be this like, this like flirting, I want to say flirting with disaster, but we should not pathologize pregnancy. Um, but there is this idea of, <laughs> I can pathologize pregnancy for myself. Can do it. On a personal level, absolutely. I'm just saying as a global idea, we do think of like, the risk of pregnancy in the same way that we think of the risk of disease. That's again, another tangent. I'm happy to go down, but I don't think we want to right now. But just to say like, you are flirting with disaster in some cases where it's like, there's certain people who are like, I don't want to get pregnant. I'm like, great. I'm going to teach you how to not get pregnant. And then I'm looking at their charts and I'm like, so you said you didn't want to get pregnant. And yet I see all this activity that leads me to believe you might want to get pregnant, which I don't judge. I just like say, I just want to point this out. Like what's, There's what's incongruence going on here? here. <laughs> yeah. And my goal is to make sure you're effective in the goal you have in mind. Um, but I think there is like, there is like, there's some subconscious thing there too, or some biological thing or very conscious thing of like, oh, I really want to like play with this edge. And <laughs> when you're not, when you're using um, a user-based method that is we can also say like less forgiving in a lot, you know, and then we're thinking again in the risk factor, sure. um, having unbarriered sex, maybe you're using withdrawal, maybe you're playing a version of Russian roulette with sperm on a fertile day could be extremely hot for somebody. And I do not want to take that away from anyone. Sure. It is like there is a real there is a real potential for pregnancy to happen there. Um, so I would say if you you can 100% explore a breeding kink without using hormonal birth control. Like you're in the most perfect situation for it, right? Where like there's no risk of pregnancy. Zero here. chance. <laughs> Zero chance, which is awesome because you don't want to get pregnant. Um, I think it's also okay to be ambivalent about pregnancy. So just to say, if you're like, I don't want to get pregnant, but then there's a part of me that might want to get pregnant, that's very normal. So not to say like, okay, you told me you didn't want to get pregnant. So why are you doing this? fine. Do whatever it is you want to. It is your sex life. I just want you to make sure that you're making as informed a choice as you want to. Um, but if you don't want to use a hormonal method and your partner has active sperm, um, if you want to most safely for your avoidance of pregnancy, explore a breeding kink, I would say figure out those days of fertility. The hard thing is going to be like, those are might be your days where like, mm, that's like where it's like feels the most like I want to go there. Um, but you can, you can have Again, all the semen in your vagina outside of that fertile window and you cannot get pregnant is biologically impossible. There is nothing there that can support sperm life, that can let them into the rest of the reproductive tract, and there's no egg. So if you if you want to play around with that more, like you certainly can. And look, I certainly have. So it is it is it it can be a fun piece of it. This does kind of dovetail back to the inherent kinkiness, I think, of fertility awareness, which is if you are using it in its like most um efficacious form or like in the most like perfect use of the method is abstinence in the fertile window and abstinence i it depends on who you ask but for me i'm going to say like avoiding penis and vagina sex sure 
and maybe in avoiding anal sex, but just because if you get some sperm, it can, you can. They're swimmers, pre- man. They if, if the cervical mucus is there, it can like really it guides them right in. So, but that being said, you have you you have some built in um, barriers and structure, and when you have some like built in barriers or like rules that you must follow that does kind of like set up space for kinkiness um, and all kind of create like barriers do create creativity. Um, it gives you room to be like, okay, we have, we have, we can't go, can't go through it. We have to go around it. Right. Or whatever that mangled metaphor is. Um, but you have, there's going to be probably about a week ish, maybe more, maybe less where you can't do that one particular kind of sex. It's a great opportunity to explore other kinds of sex, um, sex that does not involve penis and vagina. Um, and that, too, can be like, well, we can't do that one thing. And everyone has a different orientation to penis and vagina sex. Right. So I'm, it, I'm not saying it's the pinnacle of sex, but some people do feel that way. Um, but it's a great time to be like, well, we can't do that one thing. So what else could we do in this time? Um, and so exploring hand stuff and mouth stuff. And you know maybe there's maybe there's a course that Ashley Manta could direct you to (laughs) for mouth stuff. Um, (laughs) I will also be teaching a live demo class on hand stuff and mouth stuff at Hedonism in Jamaica in January. (laughs) Come learn. Also, as a quick like linguistic aside, and I don't know if you know this, you probably do, but like when I hear breeding kink or breeding fetish, I always think of impregnation, like breeding. That's what that means, like in its most literal sense. It has recently come to my attention through my sexting with strangers on the internet, uh, which is a thing I get paid for, that some people, when they say breeding, they mean just simply condomless sex with like a cream pie. And my understanding is that has emerged out of the gay community, which frequently refers to cream pies and, and condomless sex as a breeding experience. And has somehow trickled into the heterosexual population. And so now I am meeting more heterosexual men who are like, I'm into breeding kinks. And I'm like, okay, cool, hot, like impregnation. I can't actually get pregnant. And they're like, okay, cool. I'm not going to use a condom. And I'm like, you absolutely fucking are. And they're like, no, I'm into breeding. And I'm like, you, sir, are into condomless sex. And that is not the same thing. That's a really interesting point. I I don't know if I knew that. But what does make sense to me kind of going back to like, is this kinky? Yeah, if you if you have if you have again, I'm not policing anyone. We do I'm I'm wrong. I'm just gonna say I'm wrong. But my my point is if if you are doing if you're exploring breeding kings and you have anatomy that could not result in the pregnancy no matter how hard you tried, that is inherently kinky. I would say I mean it's all kinky. Whatever. Again, tell me I'm wrong. Um I'm not trying to die on this hill. These are just my thoughts. Um but yeah, I think like there is I remember re- one of my favorite books I've read recently, and this was a few years ago, but Detransition Baby. Mm. Have you read that? Mm-mm. I can't remember the I author's not. name right now, but she's written by a trans woman. And it's about like a trans woman, um, a trans woman who detransitions and a straight woman. And one of the trans women in there is exploring a breeding kink with her male partner, um, like assigned male at birth partner who's, you know, cis hetero male. Um, I don't know about the hetero, but he's cisgendered. Um, and so they're exploring this breeding kink, but it's also like through the lens of um, potentially contracting HIV, Interesting. which was like, and it, you'd have, I really recommend reading the book. Um, I think it was a fantastic novel. And that was so interesting to me too, where it's like, okay, there was this like conversation around like impregnation with these two people and then exploring gender and there's all there's all kind there's a lot of good stuff in it i mean it also again makes perfect sense you'd have a breeding kink because it is all it is so gendered and again like a very basic part of like human reproduction um literally human reproduction and so it it does make a lot of sense to me that it would be very erotic for lots of people um with all like there's so many elements of it and obviously i'm not an expert in breeding kinks there's someone who can speak more broadly to it but it is interesting to your point it's like no what you mean is like condomless sex like a cream pie could be like a very natural part of breeding but yeah if you just like don't want to use a condom that is a different thing and is is, i mean maybe this is look maybe it's a full circle where it is it's now it's now um the heterosexuals have co-opted the gay lifestyle I mean, that does seem to be where we're going. And 
kind of brings us to a perfect place to start to wind down. So Vienna, you gave us so many amazing perspectives about fertility awareness, about holistic reproductive health. We've got to talk about Carol Downer. And I'm so grateful for you to share all your information. How can people find your work online on social media? What's your website? Give give them all yeah. the the details. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. Like this is like really yeah. this <laughs> is rich places. Um, yes, loved it, loved it so much. Please, please, please feel free to reach out. I'd I'd, I'd love to hear your opinions on breeding kinks. Um, don't include me in them, but you can give me your feedback. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you can find me on Instagram at at the cunt sultant but keep in mind you can't say cunt in your handle on instagram so it's a v instead of a u so it looks like the cunt sultant (laughs) you can also find (laughs) very german um you can find me on my website which is the um and you can find out how to contact me on there and so i teach fertility awareness to people um i teach specifically the justice method like i said at the beginning so if you're interested in like avoiding pregnancy or getting to know your menstrual cycle better getting to understand like the health of your cycle if you're trying not to get pregnant if you're trying to get pregnant i teach people all those you know goals and help you just have a different relationship with a part of your body that we're just kind of told don't think about it unless you want to get pregnant and yes very important for that but i am of the opinion of it isn't impacting your everyday life for about 40 years of your life. You may as well get to know a little bit more about it. And we do know a few things about it. We would be good to know more. But yes, you can seek me out there. I also do one-off sessions called Cunt Saltations, which is just like if you want to talk about some of these topics, you don't really want to do fertility awareness in a big way. You just want someone to chat with. I offer that as well. Fantastic. If you missed any of that information, just go to thesexylifestyle.com where every guest has their own guest page with all of their information. You can even contact them there if you have questions about their work. Another great show with our amazing guest, Vienna Barlow, the cunt sultant. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yes. And a special thanks to you for listening week in and week out. As always, you can find me on Instagram at canasexual or on my website, canasexual.com. Thank you for another wonderful hour of the sexy lifestyle. Tune in next time talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life. That's it for our show today. On behalf of Carolyn David, I am Ashley Manta sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.